All right, good evening again. And that song is actually, believe it or not, it's actually an illustration of what God does. It started tiny in the beginning, the font, and it increased as we went along. It's exactly what God does. Exactly. So, it's good to have Brad and Rail as disciples, wherever Brad is, he's, uh, there he is, and where, where Rail is, he's still happy. Awesome. Great to see them get baptized. And last weekend, my, 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 myself and my wife, along with the Cushmans and the Saludes and Monique and Chris, went to Australia. And if, if you're not a part of our church or a member of our church, we're, we're a part of the International Churches of Christ. And then we're divided into families all across the globe. And our family is the South Pacific region or South Pacific family. And so we met, the leadership met over there and had a great time of inspiration and encouragement and teaching. And the whole theme was about transitions, because life is full of them, right? And in our region, there are many transitions that are going on. So I thought I'd just share a few of those with you before we dive into our lesson tonight. And if you can, can you see those? And if you can't, even greater things will happen as the sermon goes along. The font will increase. But this year, we had a cool young couple named Rob and Katie Mulhern, who were previously in Sydney. And they're both Australian, born and raised, and they went up to the Gold Coast this year and are leading that church now, which is awesome. A young couple, and that church is growing. They've baptized some uni students, so it's really cool to see Aussies go and lead churches. So they're in the Gold Coast now, and then if you head on down to Sydney, which is uh, on, on your right, there are two new couples serving in the ministry in Sydney, Australia, and one of those is recently married. Jack and Sarah Meisinger. Jack is from the state of none other than Virginia. And they're serving in in the ministry. And and also another couple that was leading the church in Colombo, Sri Lanka, David and Nadia de los Santos. And so they're now also in Sydney serving in the full-time ministry. And, And then another young couple that led their teens, Matt and Tia Ritchie, they're going to go into the full-time ministry in Birmingham. So it's cool to see all the transitions that are happening there. In addition, their teen ministry in Sydney has two Bible talks that are led by teens, which is really cool. So that's that's an inspiration for our own teen ministry. There you go. And then you travel even further south down to Melbourne, the second most livable city in the world next to Auckland, of course. John and Danny Lucas, who used to lead the church out, church out west in Perth, now have come back to Melbourne and are leading a region there in Melbourne. And Brandon Vassallo, who's Mike's youngest son, is getting married to Megan Chisholm, and so they'll be, they'll be going into the full-time ministry soon, and Megan Chisholm is also from the great state of none other than Virginia, and so they'll be getting, in, in, they'll be getting married in November, so that's awesome to see weddings happen in our region, that's very cool, and Brandon also started a, a soccer ministry, he got some guys together and said, we're going to play soccer a few nights a week, and they've been doing that, I was telling Brandon about this I was telling Brandon Brandon about Brandon and and they've had two baptisms from that two guys come out study the Bible and get baptized so that that was really cool to see how soccer converts people and then if you go even further around the corner to Adelaide also 
Aziz Rowan and Emma McCauley. They lead the church plant in Adelaide, which is really cool. And uh, last year they had one student. This year they'll have 10. Some of those have been conversions and then people moving in there. So that, that's cool to see that God is working in the great city of Adelaide. And then Papua New Guinea, if you go up north, Felix and Ashley. Felix is, is from Papua New Guinea. Ashley, funny enough, also from Virginia, has, has moved there. And Felix and Ashley are going to be getting married this year, which is really awesome. Felix sends his love to you guys, John, and your family. And that, that's really inspiring to see another young couple to, to, to lead the church there. And they've had their first married couple baptized in five years there in Papua New Guinea, which was really cool. But one story about a guy. Now, in Papua New Guinea, you don't catch the train. You don't catch the bus. You don't drive. Most, most disciples walk to church, and some walk great distances. In fact, one guy heard that there was a church, and he walked for one week. No lie. One week. And then sat in the kind of town square, and Felix happened to run into him, and he said, I've come looking for a church. They studied the Bible, and this guy got baptized. So you think coming across the bridge is something. (laughs) Try walking one week. That was amazing to see God do that. And then out west, uh, we have Sam and Michelle Cameron, who previously led a region in Melbourne, now lead the church in Perth. So that's kind of all the transitions that are going on in our in our family of churches. Again, it was a great time of fellowship and inspiration and encouragement. And it was really cool for us to all come together and really say, here's where we're going as a church, as individual churches, but as a region. We still we still want to save the world and we still want to disciple each other to become more like Christ. It was very awesome. So if you want more details, ask the Cushmans, ask the Saludes, ask Monique, ask myself, Megan or Chris, and they'll fill you in with all that. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's transition over to our lesson. Turn over to John 14 if you have a Bible. And we'll have a lesson from John 14 tonight. So here, in case you haven't seen the news in the past week or so, here, here are some clips from the last week or so. In the world news, in Europe, there was a man arrested after a knife attack in Munich. That's pretty discouraging. In the U.S., the CIA chief says that North Korea is pretty much ready for nuclear capability. Also a bit troubling. In Asia, there's military cadets that have been killed in Kabul, minibused by suicide bombing. That's also very troubling. And then in Latin America, Brazilian police, 108 people in this anti-pedophile operation. All over the globe, there's troubling news. Now, also troubling, but on a lighter note, is the possibility of Jacinda Arden... Jacinda Arden cursing the All Blacks. That was in the New Zealand Herald this morning. And the potential reason for their loss to Australia, of course, that's also very troubling. But it's not an overstatement to say that we live in troubling times, is it? And whether or not the media really pumps it up or whatever... Certainly the media has a role to instill fear in the world, but at some level there is truth that these times are very troubling. And there's a lot of turmoil in the world. And when I say the world, I mean not disciples. The world is motivated by that fear. Because of what's going on, it prompts them to do something or to not do something. Now as disciples of Jesus, we're not immune to this trouble. 
We're not immune to this turmoil. However, Jesus instructed his disciples and us that we don't react, we don't think, or we don't respond the same as the world. We respond very differently. And in John 14, it's a very troubling time for his disciples. So we can learn from Jesus how to live as disciples during troubling times. How to think different. How to respond and how to act different. And Jesus himself said, I have overcome the world. So take heart. And so since he has done that, we should, we should allow Jesus to keep moving us forward. And we should also really learn how to let the Holy Spirit fill its role in our lives, as Jesus talks about in John 14. Let's pray and read our passage and talk about three points tonight. God, we are grateful that we can come to you in great confidence that as as disciples, your spirit allows us to not tremble in fear what's going on in the world around us. Instead, we can move forward and we can let the Spirit really speak to us and call us higher. I pray as we read your words, Father, that we take them to heart and apply them to our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's how Jesus starts this passage. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Obviously, Jesus sensed the troubled spirit of his disciples and starts to speak to that. In verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered one of the I am statements. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. And, and, and so Jesus doesn't get bogged down in all the details. He says, Thomas, you know me. You, you know the truth. You know the way. And Philip asked in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. The works being everything Jesus has done miraculously for the last several chapters. And verse 12 very truly I tell you, or amen, amen, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, which is awesome, because I am going to the Father, which is a big point. That's the reason we're able to do that. And in verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you. 
and will be in you. That's referring to Jesus as the spirit of truth. Now I live with you, but the spirit will eventually dwell inside of you. And in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So here in this chapter, since, since chapter 13, Jesus has pulled away and retreated with his disciples. He's not publicly teaching anymore. He's, he's pulled his disciples together and he's doing some private instruction. And basically from chapter 13 to chapter 16, it's basically a, fel, a farewell sermon. Basically, to summarize, I'm going to leave, but here's what you're supposed to do while I'm gone. I'm not going to be, along, I'm not going to be gone around any longer. And, and as he's saying this, he says some disturbing things. He, he says, oh, and by the way, someone's going to betray me, and someone's going to deny me, and basically everybody's going to flee. And, and that's the context of, of all this teaching here. So no wonder the disciples are troubled. These are his guys that he's pulled away and he's teaching. And, and one of them, you, you know, is going to betray him. And then if they think, man, if Peter, if Peter, if Peter's going to deny him, what about all of us? So you imagine this mood that's been created and they are troubled. And Jesus begins and kind of ends in chapter 14, verse 1, do not be troubled. And then again, he repeats that command in verse 27, do not let your hearts be troubled. And so Jesus has this message to his disciples, hey, I know how to deal with trouble. I've overcome it, and I want to teach you how to do the same. Let's talk about three things. Point number one is we need to keep moving forward. Point number two is the Holy Spirit abides in us. And point number three is the Holy Spirit brings depth. Keep moving forward. I, I love that Jesus pulls his disciples aside and instructs them in their moment of troubling times. And then even in the context of their trouble, in verse 12, he says... You're going to do greater things. 
which I find very fascinating. Imagine the scene where they're all troubled, they're confused, they're worried, they're paranoid. And Jesus says, in the future, believe me, when, when the time comes, you'll be doing greater things than I'm doing right now. And I just find that fascinating that Jesus would tell his disciples this while they're troubled. And what does it mean, greater things? Does it mean they're going to be able to multiply bread and start a bakery? Not necessarily. Does it mean they're going to be able to get water and turn it into wine? Probably not. Does it mean they're going to go to a cemetery and speak to bodies and have them rise? No. It doesn't mean any of that. But it does mean that the work of Jesus will continue to a greater degree. Because when he goes to his father, he says, all of this can happen because I go to the father. So now they'll have the Holy Spirit. Everything will make sense to the disciples that did not make sense in the gospels. They're often, what did you mean by that? And confused by this. And I don't understand that. But, but now that the Holy Spirit would live inside of them, they have such great clarity, such great simplicity. And imagine how they'd be able to spread the gospel now. Everything is crystal clear for them. Luke, the author, he, he, he makes this connection. In the Gospel of Luke, he basically says, here's the teachings and the works of Jesus. And in the book of Acts, he says, here's how the church carries on the work of Jesus. And if you read through the book of Acts, the, the movement mushrooms. It explodes, and, and so we do get this sense of greater things does have, in some sense, that we'll be able, the disciples here in this context, and us as well, will be able to carry on his mission and spread the gospel to a greater degree. And amen for that. And so I love that even though that they're overwhelmed by sorrow, what does Jesus do? He points them forward. And he says, I understand you're troubled. I understand there's turmoil, but in the future, you'll do even greater things. Let's keep moving forward. Amen. If you've ever been inside of a mall, you know these kiosks. <laughs> They're often trying to sell who knows what. And the only way they can make a sale is by what? Getting your attention. And so, if I'm walking past them, I have one thought in my head. Keep moving. Don't make eye contact. Keep, Because they approach you. You've had this happen to you. Would you like to try some cream? No, I would not like to try any cream. Or whatever it is. But, but they're constantly trying to approach you, right? And, and some of you, may, uh, and, and if they make eye contact, oh, it's over. <laughs> At least they've, they've kind of got you. And they start, you know, talking to you. But it's, they're trying to distract you. And they're trying to get you engaged. But if you keep looking forward, it, hey, I don't even hear. I'm just in the zone, a thousand mile stare, and I just blow by all the cream kiosks. But I think there's a, an insight into this that, you know, there's always going to be troubling times. There's always going to be distractions. There's always going to be turmoil. And if we camp in the distractions and the trouble and the turmoil, we don't move forward. We never move forward. Last year was a distracting year for me personally and as a church leader. A lot of different issues kept me distracted and consumed a lot of my mental energy. And not in a direct connection, but I think the church couldn't, it didn't grow as it could have. 
whether numbers or, or character-wise. And, and so I'm, someone discipled me on it, and, and I, I took it to heart and said, 2017, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to sort things out as we go, and, but I'm going I'm to really take Jesus' words to heart and say, I'm going to keep moving forward. And I think, praise God, it's been a better year for me in that sense. And I think we all, we all can learn from Jesus' approach where he says, I, I know you're troubled. I know you don't understand all these things. But look to the future. Let's keep moving forward. It's such a big point for the life of disciples. And how do you do that? Well, Jesus gives some ideas in 13 and 14. He talks a lot about prayer. Whatever, whatever, whatever I will do... <laughs> And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And this is all in context, again, of doing greater things and being consumed by spreading the gospel of Jesus. And, and I, I think there's something about our prayer lives that keeps us moving forward when we're praying about other people. If I'm consumed about helping someone become a Christian, it kind of it consumes more in, mental energy about them and less about myself. Recently, I started to pray that we'll convert someone in this church that will lead the next church planting in the next three years. And they're like, that, that's, it's just kind of stuck in my head. I've been praying it almost every day for the past week and a half. And I, and I want to see that happen. I want us to see that as a church to see that happen. And it's keeping me moving forward. Another way we could keep moving forward is just by being involved in the mission. I think that Jesus is pointing his disciples kind of in that direction again. There is trouble, but you're going to do greater things. I don't think being in a Bible study solves all of your problems. But I think it helps focus a lot of your energy that's being focused on yourself, on someone else. And it's also focused on how do I use the Bible to help that person. And it takes a lot of the distraction and the the turmoil and the trials and the drama away, and it helps you move forward. And, and I believe that this, this is a big takeaway for our church. Is let, let's all, this week, make a decision to find somebody to be in a Bible study with. It doesn't have to be somebody you personally meet, or it could be someone in your Bible talk, because the truth is, life is always going to have trouble. Life is always going to have distractions. There's going to be the kiosk of life trying to get you, hey, this, this is troubling. You need to sit down and camp on this for a little while. Here's a bit of discouragement. Why don't you rub this all over your face for a little while? You know, there's always going to be the kiosk trying to get us to stop. But if, if we're engaged in helping people, we keep moving forward. Jesus says that himself. Each day has enough, what? Trouble of its own. That tells us, there's going to be trouble every day. Yeah. Trouble come my way, whatever. But we can keep moving forward if we follow this instruction. I, I ask you, to, if, if somebody, you know, if you're not a part of our church, hopefully somebody asks you to study the Bible tonight. That's just a spoiler alert. Right? And if not tonight, the next time you visit. And if, and if, and if you don't know, if you see someone you don't know and, and, and ask them to study the Bible, if there's nobody here that you don't know, find somebody else to say, hey, I really want to teach you about Jesus. I really want to help you understand the gospel. And we all have to call each other to the same standard as well to keep moving forward. Amen? Secondly, the Holy Spirit abides in us. Verse 16, Jesus, he, he starts to launch into a discussion about the role of the Holy Spirit, which is, which is thoroughly inspiring, encouraging, and it deepens all of our faith. And in verse 16, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another 
advocate or paraclete, the Greek word for counselor or comforter, somebody that's on the journey with you to help you and he will be with you forever. Now be with you is, is also used that word in John 15. Which we'll look at next where Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me, remain in me. If you remain in me and I remain in you and remain in me. That's the same word. And so here Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, he's going to do his job. He's going to remain inside of you forever. He's not going to bail. He's not going to abandon. He's not going to flee. He's going to stay. And that should be a source of encouragement to help the disciples unravel their fuzzy thinking. Because even in this setting, Judas betrays, Peter denies, and everybody flees. But Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will always stay with you. Now the world doesn't have this hope and Jesus will go on to explain that. But we do because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and it will abide in us forever. And that's awesome. My, my brother recently ran into an old friend of mine that I've known since probably year two or year three. And we've had many memories growing up together. And, but there's one dominant memory that, that stood out, which whenever I think about this guy, I'll call him John Doe for the sake of anonymity. I'll call it. Well, whenever I think about John, this, this John Doe, whenever, this one image comes to mind. And it's him abandoning myself and two other friends. And in our neighborhood, we had heard rumor that there was a rock quarry that had filled with water beyond the borders of our neighborhood. That if you crossed over the train tracks, went through the forest, and found the clearing of land, you would find this rock quarry filled with water, and you could go swimming in it. So John Doe says to three of us, hey, let's go find this quarry. And we thought, that sounds like a great idea. So why don't we do this? So we set out. It's like stand by me or something. We set out and we leave our neighborhood. It's quite a walk. We leave our neighborhood. We cross the train tracks. We go through the forest. Navigate that. We come to the clearing of land. And sure enough, in the distance, we see this rock quarry that is filled with water that we can go swimming in. However, <coughs> there was also a very clear sign as you approach the property. And that sign said basically that private property, no trespassing. So because we had underdeveloped brains at this point in our lives, we thought, <laughs> let's, let's have a quick discussion about in the name of greater good and adventure, we could probably ignore that sign <laughs> and carry on with this little task, which we all said, sounds good. Let's do it. So we did. We started to make our way onto this property and I don't know distance wise, but probably 50 to hundred meters away. Some older gentleman, which potentially was holding some kind of weapon, comes out of his house and starts screaming about the sign. He says, this is private property and a bunch of other stuff. I don't even remember what he said anymore. And we had just enough time, the four of us, to kind of gauge the details and make a quick decision. And the quick decision was, let's run. So here's some actual footage of me when I ran away from that. I was, man, I was so scared. 
And, and we did. We, we turned around. We ran. We ran through the clearing. We ran through the forest. Man, we were, we were so fast in navigating this forest. We go across the train tracks. We kind of stop and we assess the situation. And, and there's only three of us. And John Doe is nowhere to be found. And so we stop and think, oh, what happened? What happened to him? Maybe he... Got trapped in the forest, or who knows? Maybe, maybe, should we go back? And no, no. So we came up with a plan, and we came up with our story, and we got it all straight again because we had underdeveloped brains. And and so the first thing was when we got back to our neighborhood, we would we would go to my house, and we would tell a story that we had all agreed on. And as we got on the street of my house, there were two police cars in my driveway, and we said, "Okay, new plan. Let's." <laughs> Let's go to Tony Lucini's house. And that's his real name. And said, okay, we're going to Tony Lucini's house. So we go to the next street of the neighborhood. And we get to the edge of the street and we look down. And there's two police cars in his driveway. I said, okay, plan C. Let's, let's, go, to, let's go to Richie's house. And, and hopefully we'll be able to take refuge there. So we go to Richie's, another police car. So we say, well, we, we, we just gotta, we just gotta own up. So we go in, and sure enough, John Doe had abandoned us and turned us all in. And three of us went to court for trespassing, while John Doe didn't go to court because he turned us in. And I, and I, I mean, it's, it's a silly story, but every time I think about this guy, even when I talk to my brother, my brother, he randomly ran into him. He works for this company now. He says, hey, I ran into John Doe. I said, oh, ask him why he abandoned me when I was... <laughs> <laughs> We've all had somebody, you've had somebody, we've all had somebody that has abandoned us, that has bailed on us, that has left us, or disappointed us, or broken a promise, or not showed up, or just flat out forgotten, or double booked, whatever. We've all had that happen. But Jesus says, during troubling times, and forever, the Holy Spirit will never bail will never bail. That's very encouraging because it does have application to our lives. It removes a lot of excuses, if you think about it. Because I can always say, oh, what about this past? But now, now as a disciple of Jesus, if there's, if there's experiences that have been in my Christian life or that I think have shaped me and that I point to those as reasons for not moving forward, what I'm actually saying is, those experiences outweigh the power of the Holy Spirit. Which just cannot be true. That cannot be true. At some point, those experiences become so real and, and, and the real reason we're stuck that we forget about the Holy Spirit abiding us forever. And it's a powerful agent of change that dwells inside of us. The Holy Spirit living inside of us removes excuses for not changing. Because it's always in there. It's not running and fleeing. Even in troubling times. If you're stuck in your faith. If you're stuck in your walk with God. I encourage you to find someone tonight. And admit the fact I'm stuck in my faith. I've blamed other things on me not changing. But I really want to let the Holy Spirit move and change me. 
Because that's what it wants to do. Pray together. Pray that you'll listen to the Holy Spirit. And then pray that the Spirit will help you come up with a plan to actually change. Because the Holy Spirit never bails. Never flees. Never runs away. That's the words of Jesus in this passage. And it will help us in the times of trouble. Amen? Amen. Third and last, the Holy Spirit brings depth. That's in verse 26, where Jesus talks to His disciples more about the Holy Spirit. But the Advocate, and then He'll get specific, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so, Jesus says the Spirit is going to be a constant teacher and reminder of Me. Just like God sent Jesus, and Jesus spoke on behalf of God, Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit, and He's going to remind you of me. And that's a very powerful thing, because if, if you read through the Gospels, it doesn't take long for anyone to realize the disciples just don't get it while they're with Jesus. And John makes mention of that in, in chapter 2, verse 22. After the temple, there's discussion about the temple. And it says, after, after he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what Jesus had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is post-resurrection, after they've been filled and enlightened by the Holy Spirit. John says, those words that Jesus told them, after they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they reflect on it, it brings depth. Now they understand it. Now they have clarity. Now they understood what Jesus was talking about. Why? Because it was reminding them of everything Jesus had said. Later on in John chapter 12, the disciples didn't didn't understand this concept. Only after he was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. And so, however it worked, if it was a moment of uh, epiphany or, or whatever, the Holy Spirit was constantly teaching and reminding these guys of everything Jesus said. And it, and it brought greater depth and it brought greater clarity to their faith. And so the Holy Spirit, in the words of Jesus and in the New Testament, isn't responsible for new revelation It's just filling out and completing what Jesus has already said. That's what he says. It'll remind you of what I have said to you. And so the disciples, after they're filled with it, everything starts to become clearer and clearer. Today, people pay big, big money for private tutors. It's $20 to $50 an hour. You know, if, if I was a tutor, I'd say you need several hours of tutoring. You know, because that, but, but people want this focused, special attention. And it's not as though the tutor is really teaching them new material. They're just reminding and reviewing and trying to deepen their knowledge base already. And so, in some sense, in a very supercharged and supernatural way, the Holy Spirit is this ongoing, private tutor, always instructing you and me about the words of Jesus. Which, if you think about it, that that brings a lot of depth to our spiritual life. If if, if we really, really listen to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to do His job. I think that 
when we apply this to our lives, it, it allows us to, to see bigger pictures. You know, when we read scriptures and we read them for, for ages, uh, the longer you're a disciple, if you allow the Holy Spirit, he'll allow your understanding of the scriptures to deepen, of one scripture to deepen, and then of the book, and then of the Bible, and then of the bigger story. And when you understand the bigger story, you're less driven by fear. The Holy Spirit is this constant agent of change trying to instruct you and me to get the bigger, fuller picture. It's not trying to tell us many new things, but it's simply trying to remind us of what Jesus has already said. And it brings great depth. But it also should be a warning sign for people that have new teaching. Because that's not the role of the Spirit. It's not to bring something new onto the scene. It's to remind us of what Jesus has already said. You know, in the early 1900s, the Pentecostal movement had some new teaching. They said, here are some things that need to happen in addition to being baptized. And so that was a new thing to come on in the scene. And so it perked the ears of people saying, well, this is kind of new. What's this going on? You need to be weary of new teachings. Because that's not the job of the Spirit, is to remind us of what Jesus has already said. Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith came, came at one point and said, I, I need to write a new book. It, it, the Book of Mormon. It was, a, it was a complete set of new teachings. We have to be wary, because that's not the role of the Spirit. Jehovah's Witness is similar. They, they come out with new teachings and all these end-of-days conspiracies. I've got a new idea. I've got something new. That's not the role of the Spirit. Is to bring depth to what Jesus has already said. I think it also helps us when, you know, we, we use the phrase, follow the Spirit. That's fine. We need to follow the Spirit, okay? If you feel like the Spirit's prompting you, first thing you do is, is would this match something that Jesus says? And if yes, flat, go for it, full steam. But I've often heard the phrase, not, not necessarily here from members of our church, but I, but I do hear it, that they use it as an excuse to do something that's not necessarily rooted in Scripture. I'm just following the Spirit, and the, the Spirit is calling me to take this job that would be far away from any other church that, that can't be, let me just alert you, that's not the spirit. Because Jesus said, we need to be united. We need to be close to the body. Or, the spirit's really calling me to talk to this girl. I know she's not a Christian, and I, and I know I shouldn't be dating her, but the spirit's really calling me to maybe strike up a potential relationship with her. No, how can that be? When the scriptures are very clear, don't be yoked together. Are you, are you getting new teaching? You know, what, what, what is this? We have to be wary of all this kind of stuff when, when we follow the Spirit. It reminds us of what Jesus already has said. And it brings us depth. You know, for sure we do live in a context of troubling times. It doesn't take long to figure that out, but we shouldn't be ruled by fear. As disciples, Jesus instructs you and me and us as a church how to move forward. Again, this week, find somebody to share the gospel with and watch how it moves you forward. Watch how it reinvigorates you. Watch how it calls you higher in your own faith. And this week, really focus on the role of the Holy Spirit. Allow it to change you and stop making excuses. Pull somebody aside and say, I really, I really want to let the Spirit change me. I want it to let it deepen my faith. And following Jesus and being led by His Spirit will allow us to do greater things here in Auckland and in New Zealand. Amen. Amen.